from UNH, Cooperative Extension. This is Over Informed on IPM. Bug again this week. This week we're we're talking about BMSB management. So if you haven't already listened to part one on whether or not we should be freaking out at this point, or part two on predicting outbreaks, you should probably listen back before you join us on this one. All right, so I've heard some rumors that you can't control BMSB with chemical insecticides. And that's totally false. You, you can totally control BMSB with chemical insecticides. It's just really hard to control BMSB with chemical insecticides. There's, there's many reasons, and they're all, they're all a real kick in the pants, so buckle up. First of all, the feeding injury caused by stink bug takes a little while to show up in fruit. They stick their proboscis in there, and they spit in enzymes, and they suck out all the goods, and the corking and the depressions that follow and, and that ruin the fruit, they can take days or weeks to show up. Sometimes this happens when fruit is sitting in storage. That's real bad. Good news is that up here in the Northeast, BMSB population surges pretty late in the season. We didn't really see peak numbers until the middle of September, maybe the end of September last year in 2019. So late maturing varieties are really the only ones that saw a lot of action. However, the materials that are the most effective for BMSB also have the longest pre-harvest intervals. So you're looking at that window two to three weeks ahead of harvest to see if BMSB are moving in. During those couple of weeks before harvest, you're limited in terms of effective materials with appropriate PHIs. That's bad. More bad news that even if they do move into the orchard during a period of time that you can knock them back, that you can do something, there's probably another wave of them in the bordering woods that are, that are about to move in after that residual efficacy is worn off. Again, you're stuck with those, those kind of meh materials with the short PHIs. That's bad. Also, and truth be told, these are really big bugs with lots of fat body. You should think about fat body as being like an insect liver. Um, with a pretty remarkable ability to detoxify common insecticides. I don't really like to admit it because it's, it's rare, but from time to time, a BMSB bug, especially the females, um, who looks like they've been killed by a broad-spectrum neurotoxin, can recover and walk away. That's not good. Um, just another lesson that spray coverage is important, and don't mess around with getting enough material where it needs to be. That being said, we are talking about pesticides in this one, so I have to remind you that the label is the law. So if you're using pesticides, read your label and follow those instructions. But I talked to a few experts in this area about using pesticides to control BMSB in vegetable crops and in fruit crops, and how we can integrate chemical and behavioral controls to avoid crop injury. And it's not all bad news. Hi, I'm Tom Kuhar, an entomology professor at Virginia Tech. I focus on vegetable IPM. I also do turf, a little bit of field crops IPM. You know, it's interesting. Um, it, you know, we clearly have some of the highest populations. This is the western part of, of Virginia. They have been since, you know, the bug is established. You know, we had a crisis in 2009, 2010. We just weren't ready for this pest and, and what it was going to take. And I think tree fruit was hit harder because it is a tree-loving bug, um, but it definitely 
attacks fruit and vegetables, and you know, there's no, there's no doubt. But a lot of conventional vegetables were, were already being sprayed with chemicals that were efficacious on stink bugs. Pyrethroids are cheap. A lot of times a pyrethroid would go in every other spray at least, and they're, they're protecting this fruit against a lot of things, and pyrethroids can help clean up a lot of, lot, lot of pests. So I think because of that, tomatoes weren't hit as hard in the big conventional production. Because same thing with sweet corn. You know, there's going to be pyrethroids sprayed on a lot of the conventional fields. Peppers, peppers, you know, may not have had the pyrethroid sprays that tomatoes had. So, uh, you know, among the fruiting vegetables, I'd say peppers probably suffered some damage that was a little out of the ordinary. And because it's pyrethroids, because they're cheap, they're, the answer was pretty easy for them. Now, you could secondary pests like green peach aphid they can take off as, as you know and then you got to deal with the aphids so you basically shot yourself in the foot but the biggest problem is organic farms I mean there's there's very very few tools that work well when the pressure's high uh, the other problem you see with organic farms is they tend to be smaller in a patch of land that might be surrounded by woods it's just the perfect recipe for stink bug problems. Those are the instances where I think the damage has been the highest. Is I will say that we, we, had a, we had a student who worked on organic insecticides. None of the more popular organic insecticides were, I can tell you that, in the field. We could get some good control in the lab, but when we took it to the field, nothing controlled these when pressure was high. But kaolin clay, kaolinite necrotic surround, you know, it's basically a mine silicate clay that this bug hates. So when you when you can spray, and you know it, it's got some advantages for tree fruit, fruiting vegetables. It's a you know it protects against sun scald. It's got some other benefits that growers were already using it. It's not that out of the ordinary. And I will tell you that we got we got very good control when we sprayed surround on peppers, tomatoes. Among the organic options, that was the best. So some good news in there. Stink bugs hate kale and clay. It makes them so unhappy they leave peppers alone. But back to the tree fruit and this tree-loving bug. What do we do there? What do we do during that period right before harvest when we're too close for missiles? What guns can we switch to? Peter Yench has been playing around with some biorationals. And so this is not an IPM-conducive insect. It's just that's the bottom line. <laughs> and it's a tough pill to swallow. But bifenthrin... If you want to kill them, <laughs> that's the material. But the downside and the reason that we pursued this, originally we were looking at four day to harvest material. So here you are, you put your bifenthrin out and uh, you know for a few days it's working really well and you got 10 days to harvest, right? Um, things are going well, all of a sudden four days to harvest, you start seeing the population, you are done. You're done spraying. You're just crossing your fingers and praying. That's when a lot of the injury occurs is right near harvest. So the idea with Venerate is that you put this stuff on, maybe in multiple applications, as you approach that harvest window, it's got zero days to harvest. That has to go to material when all else fails. You know, it's the life raft, it's the PD, you know, personal flotation device. And, and so that's the only way out. Um, and that was our goal is to be able to find an alternative for growers to use when you don't have anything else you can use. So a sale is out, 
you know, all the other seven day materials you, you can't use, that, that would be an option. If you look at the company website, the product Peter mentions here, Venerate, is a bioinsecticide, um, Burkholderia species, strain A396. Uh, they say this features multiple modes of action effective against a wide variety of chewing and sucking insects and mites. Truth be told, this material is, is not very good at killing insects. Um, I haven't seen much efficacy data that says otherwise, but... There's more than one way to avoid injury in IPM than killing the bug. Back to Peter. As, as we've moved through these iterations of both field efficacy screening studies, as well as the laboratory bioassays, it's been really interesting, some of the newer chemistries that have arisen. One of them is this Marone bioproduct called Venerate. And the reason that I picked up on this is, is that there was some, uh, some talk about the use of Venerate as an organic option and i think ann nielsen may have brought this to the limelight she didn't really follow up much with it but she said she might have had some reduced feeding injury to fruit so we followed up with it do a real in-depth study on the use of closure which is a down material that also has um, anti-feedant properties along with venerate and we compared that to bifenthrin and an untreated control spraying uh, the, the tree fruit in August, September, and then waiting 24 hours and then placing adults on the fruit in a small cup that screened, it's like a screen cage with a rubber band. So that was probably the most fun project I've had since I was in, in kindergarten. So you can just envision, you know, all the dynamics of having to hold a cup in the insect and releasing the insect and, you know, pulling the lid out and putting the rubber band on. But then we also circled the arena with a Sharpie, you know, of course, and then harvested the fruit um, about uh, 14 days after we removed the insect, brought him back to the lab, and then we skinned all the fruit. We looked at the surface of the fruit for depressions and discoloration, so those are two categories, and then we had the category of corking underneath the arena. All of that to say <laughs> that the run rate provided us with as good or better um, feeding inhibition than uh, any of the other products. Is this more good news? Peter also mentioned that topical application directly to these bugs also resulted in reduced feeding. So this is not a straightforward feeding deterrent like the kaolin clay that just messes them up. But there's something else going on here, and it's something I really look forward to hearing more about. How about some more good news? How about an IPM resuscitation in New Jersey? Uh, I'm Ann Nielsen. I'm an associate extension specialist and professor at Rutgers University. Okay, well, so IPM CPR is a technique that we've been, or a tactic that we've been developing in my lab since 2012. And we first did this for peaches. And now we have also conducted research on this in apples as well. So IPM CPR stands for Integrated Pest Management Crop Perimeter Restructuring came up with that because we were trying to resuscitate our IPM programs, but we're doing it through a behaviorally based approach. 
And we're in, it is an IPM tactic because we're integrating multiple pests into this. So we're trying to bring back IPM tactics that growers dropped after BMSB invaded. Because when BMSB invaded, the only management tool that was available were broad spectrum insecticides. Unfortunately, because that was the only tool um, and because of the long period of time that BMSB is present in the orchards, our insecticide use went up fourfold caused some downstream effects. One of those was that our growers were using the behaviorally based management tactic, mating disruption for our internal worms. They stopped that tactic because the number of sprays that are needed for BMSB were, at least they thought, were controlling these other pests. They dropped timing of insecticides because BMSB is constantly available. Um, so they dropped a lot of our key IPM tactics. But what we knew about BMSB, at least in peaches, is that they come in from the edge of the orchard. So they actually stop at the orchard edge and stay there for about a week before they move inside. We wanted to exploit that behavior, that perimeter-driven behavior. And so we started off by doing border sprays, which is where you just spray the edges of the orchard, not the surrounding trees, just the, the peaches themselves. Um, and that's about 25% of a five-acre orchard, which is a, a good size normal block. We did that on a weekly basis. So we still are on our weekly sprays, but we did initiate the sprays based off of a degree day model that I developed. Um, so we weren't spraying immediately post bloom. We were spraying a couple weeks after that when we knew that BMSB was starting to come into the orchards. So we were basing this, this approach based off of multiple things. We also reintegrated mating disruption into our orchards for our moth pests. So what we found was that we were spraying uh, significantly less insecticide. Our moth pests were being managed by the mating disruption. And we were seeing equal or sometimes less stink bug injury um, in our peaches. And that's really exciting because, again, we're using 25% less uh, insecticide. The data for natural enemies in terms of whether or not we're seeing more natural enemies, just in terms of overall abundance, the diversity of our natural enemies, or their impact is a little variable. In some years, we see higher impacts. Some years, we see higher diversity. But the one interesting thing that we have seen is that we've been able to identify the egg parasitoid of brown marmorade stink bug, which is, is its primary mortality agent. So we think it's compatible with, with these border sprays. We've also done the same thing in apples, integrating the threshold with border sprays, and we're seeing similar results. That's really cool. I'm really glad to hear that you're seeing the, uh, the predator, or the parasitoid. Yeah. <laughs> that, was my, that was my next question for you because you've kind of been down in the trenches from start to to now with this mm -hmm. like do you have a sense of um how much so obviously a huge benefit to this approach like doing border sprays is that you're not applying broad spectrum insecticides to the interior rows and you're saving mm -hmm. your natural enemies like do you have a sense of what how much is being contributed by natural enemies now or is that a down the road kind of thing or, or a better question is do you see it growing so two things. One, um, the next steps for our IPM CPR program are to get away from the weekly border sprays. So we can start integrating in predictive models um, so that we can um, just target BMSB when they're actively migrating into the orchards. That's a key step in order to further reduce insecticide use. In terms of your question about biological control, uh, right now, we're only seeing about 1% in, 
control or mortality due to our natural enemies um, with the sentinel egg masses due to the parasitoid. Overall, we know that about 14% probably is uh, of BMSB are controlled by generalist predators. So the numbers are still pretty low and that's based off of gut content analysis, but the numbers are low. I think if we can, um, I think IPM-CPR is compatible with, with biological control. However, our parasitoids also likely come in from the edges too. So one thing that we're gonna start looking at in my lab is whether or not we can use insectary strips or flowering plants to help sustain parasitoids, uh, provide an alternate food source and a refuge for them, and then they can move on and you know kill all the stink bug eggs in the orchard. Holy macaroni, did you hear Anne mention that New Jersey tree fruit needs to be protected from BMSB when it moves into the orchard after petal fall? Yeesh! Well, at least we don't have to worry about that here. Pest pressure does not get that high early in the season in the Northeast. And aren't we lucky that there's this army of entomologists to the south of us who have figured out what we need to do if we do get into hot water in the future? That's a great place to stop for now. I hope you will join us for part four on biological control of BMSB next time. Thank you to Tom Kuhar of Virginia Tech, Peter Yench at New York's Hudson Valley Laboratory, and Ann Nielsen of Rutgers University. And of course, a special thanks to Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Overinformed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu. To their metabolism and 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 reduce that that uh, desire to feed. I guess I could use some of that right now. <laughs> I'm sitting home with my kids. I all I'm doing is eating. Put <laughs> 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 some venerate on those eggs. I know all that all that craft macaroni and cheese you stockpiled, right? <laughs> <laughs>